Today, though, we get to finish up this series that we have been on, All Things Are Possible. It has been a great series. I only um, spoke once here on this series, and I am excited to be able to to kind of wrap it up. And <laughs> the Lord showed me a while ago what I was going to wrap it up with, and I was like, oh, Come on, God. Can we get something a little bit more fun? <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about money today, and uh, we're going to call this message. My husband titled it because I couldn't think of a name. Um, <laughs> it's great to have a partner. So uh, we're going to call this message the money test. Ooh, that's a good message title, right? Thank you, Pastor Josh. I'm giving him his credit this time because if I would just say it and act like it was mine, he would interrupt me. So this is Pastor Josh's title to my message, The Money Test. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you love us enough, Lord Jesus, that you do allow trials and you allow uh, things, complications even, uh, to test our hearts, to see what we're really made of. And Lord, I pray today as we dig in deep into your word, that you would show us if we have any hidden sin in this area, if we have any idolatry in our hearts in this area, Lord, that we would repent, that we would turn to you and that we would be more like you. God, I also pray that you would open our eyes, open our, our minds, Lord, that we would be good stewards of what you have given us, Lord. You are good and you are beautiful in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in one main passage, and this, this is where we're going to be at for the, the whole message today. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles or your, your Bible app on your phone, open up to Matthew 19. We're going to talk about the rich young man, and this is Matthew 19, 16 through 26. We're going to go ahead and read this now. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father, father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The, the, the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? So he knew something was missing, right? It's like, I've kept all these, but what do I still lack? And right here in verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, when the young man heard what he heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Our sermon series was um, titled after this, this last verse. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
I remember um, uh, before we had the Waterville campus, and Josh and I uh, were, were the, the primary pastors at the South Little campus, we, um, there was a, a man who was just had so much faith. He encouraged me every time I saw him. He was a, a guy that, that was so bold. He witnessed to everybody he, he met. He didn't care. I saw him break up uh, fights in the name of the Lord. And my husband did these kind of things too, but I'm not talking about my husband this time. Just another guy that I greatly respect. He would, he would go and it just, uh, he would, if someone was dead, he would pray that they would be alive again. He had that kind of faith. Like, have you ever met anyone that had that kind of miraculous faith that like they would literally I, I have a friend that um she witnessed with her own two eyes a car accident and the person died in, in front of her with she saw this with her own two eyes she was the first on the scene before the police officers got there and she went up to the young man who was in the car accident that appeared dead and she's like life in the name of jesus you know and, and, and he actually came too and he lived and we went and visited him um in the hospital it was a really cool cool experience even though i wasn't there to like i felt like i lived through her in that experience this is the kind of faith that this guy had i mean he saw miracles he prayed for i remember one time doing a hospital visit with this guy and he prayed for a baby and that baby lived um who was supposed to die i mean just like miracle after miracle but this um young man struggled Trusting God with his finances. And it, it perplexed me because I was like, how do you have faith? Like, I struggle to pray with, for a dead person. <laughs> like, live in Jesus' name. That, like, that is, that's like a huge faith to be able to do that. I'm like, how do you have faith for that, but you don't have faith to give, you know, an offering or to give 10% of your, your check um, a tithe. Why? I, it, it, it didn't. It perplexed me. It didn't compute in my in my brain. And so I encouraged him and said, "If you can have faith in this area, why why can't you trust God in this area?" And after that, I believe he took a hold of that word and was like, "Man, you're, you're right." And he started giving more faithfully. And this is the thing, friends. I believe a lot of us as Christians, we can believe things that are impossible. We really can. We believe, I mean, we hear our missionary friends come in and tell stories, and, and we've seen things ourselves that, you know, what Bessie's saying, like God healed a woman with cancer, and we can believe that. We hear that, and we're like, yes, God can do it. But when it comes to our checkbook and our finances, we have a difficult time trusting God and believing him. Right? The money test. And here's this man. I mean, this, this young ruler... He was, he was a good dude, man. I mean, he kept the commandments. Um, most, most scholars believe that he was in his 20s, 30s, or maybe 40. That's like the, the broad term. He wasn't a teenager, okay? So he was a young man, most likely like in his prime, right? Like right before, you know, going down the hill, right? And he was financially successful. A lot of pe people, when it says young ruler, sorry guys, um, <laughs> when it says, hey, I'm, I'm on the other side of the hill now too, okay? When it says young ruler, like wh what did he rule? A lot of people believed he was like a leader in a synagogue, okay? And so, I mean, he, 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 he was, six, uh, some people actually believe this was Mark, um, I don't know that to be true or not. I guess only God does. Um, but uh, some, some scholars do believe that is true. And so I think it's interesting. And I think that this story can teach us a lot, not just about the money test, but it could teach us a lot about what truly matters in life. It could teach us a lot about um, fulfillment versus success. 
It could teach us a lot about, uh, I'm, I'm studying psychology right now and my, you know, I'm back in school for pastoral counseling and, and different levels of um, meaning in life. And, and what some psychologists believe is like the highest level is what they call the meaningful life. And that's not just, um, that's not just being successful, like in your career or with your marriage, your family, but that's pouring back into other people. And I was just like, wow, and, these, and this is not a Christian class per se. This is just a psychology class. And I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting because God has created us for more than just the American dream. And it said that there's, there's another level of happiness, if you will, that's like um, the pleasurable life. And that's a lower level than the meaningful life because the pleasurable life is it's the pursuit of happiness, like what we have um, written in our found, founding documents as a country. But that's a lower level. God wants us to have that meaningful life where we use our finances to bless others, not just ourselves. Amen. So here we go. Four important money lessons that we can learn from this passage. You ready? Number one, money is not a sin. The love of money is a sin. Money's not a sin. There's some people who are, you got people on both ends. You got the, the crazy prosperity preachers that are like, in the name of Jesus, I prayed over this anointing. Send me $100.99 and you will get healed. I did that pretty good, right? Come on. I never do, imper come on, I never do impersonations that good. I'm so proud of myself. I did. I, you know, I, I got a tissue. I don't got a handkerchief, but you know. <laughs> You got those extremities, and then you got people that are like, anyone who has m money is sinning and this and that. I mean, like, you do. I've seen both. Like, people, like, if you want to, like, better yourself as far as providing more. Like, I, I myself have struggled with the thought of, okay, I'm going back to school, and, and if I get this job, it, you know, I'm still, obviously, I'm not trying to leave the church. Um, but, you know, if I can add in some, I struggle thinking, like, what if I can do something to add in more money. <laughs> and my dad told me, he's like, "Hun, the assembly of God did not make you take a vow of poverty, right? And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but for some reason, like we struggle with those extremities. It's the crazy, send this, this money to me and you're gonna get blessed to the, I have to sacrifice everything that my kids are, are, are lacking, right? It's the extremity of prosperity mindset in a poverty mindset. Both are wrong. Money in itself is not sin. The love of money is sin. And this is what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. <clears throat> Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <clears throat> I've seen it. I've seen people get saved, on fire for God, living, living for Jesus, doing radical things, and then get a promotion at work, don't go to church anymore, aren't, don't have the same fire that they used to, because it's, they have other things now that they're chasing after. And we have to have a different mindset. We have to have a different mindset. But still, some individuals' approach to money can take on the sinister intentions to do great harm if they allow themselves to be corrupted by it. And as we improve our knowledge of how money works and what it can do, and, and as we keep close to the Lord as we are 
making money. As we stay close to the Lord during that time in prayer and in faith and faith community, it will help us avoid the temptations that having a lot of money can cause. It will help us stay on the right path. I, I was talking to one of my kids, and, and bless the Lord, this, this one loves to debate. There's none of, none of them that are in the room, um, but I bet you they're going to start listening now when I tell a story. So anyway, this child was telling me, um, I was talking, I don't know, I was talking about money and, and, and different things. And this child was telling me, money can buy you happiness. And I was like, no, it can't buy you happiness. He's like, what, what broke people, you know, are happy. I'm just like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> and you're right. Like, you know, like if people are struggling to provide for their families, if they're, that also will, will cause stress. And, and we have to have security. I get what you're saying. However, I said, what about the famous people that we know have committed suicide who, who apparently had everything, the most luxurious homes and and not just one home but homes right houses on on the coast and and can go anywhere and yet they're going through divorce they have mental health problems sometimes committing suicide what about that if money can buy you happiness that should never happen look at solomon in the bible who had more money and more fame than anyone in his time and he said it's what it's meaningless because until you put meaning into your money, it will be meaningless. Tweet that. <laughs> Come on. Can I get it? It's tight, but it's right. <laughs> Jesus, help us. We got to put meaning into our money. And so the rich young ruler, you know, this is the thing. He could have been Jesus' 13th disciple. Jesus flat out told him. Sell everything and come and follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And he was like, ooh, I got to go away, sad. I, 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 can't, I can't make that commitment. <laughs> but this is the thing, friends. When we are true disciples of the Lord, because if we read on, I didn't, read, I didn't put this part in our passage. But if you read on in the same verse, Peter's like, man, who could be saved, right? And then he goes on, hey, but Jesus, you see us. Like, we left everything. What did we get? And Jesus told him, man, you're going to get so much reward in heaven for being obedient and being faithful. I think so often we have this mindset, and it's, a lesser, it's lesser than the meaningful life that God wants for us. But we have this mindset that success will bring happiness. When fulfillment brings happiness. Because success in the American mindset is moving up that corporate ladder. It's, 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 and I get it. I get it. We want to be good providers. We want to have, uh, we want to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle. I understand that. But if that is our definition of success, we're missing it because true success is saying yes to Jesus and being in the center of his will. That's it. Mother Ter Teresa had success. She didn't have a whole bunch of uh, uh, finances that she was able to leave on to other people. She raised a whole bunch of finances for the kingdom. And she lived a meaningful life. And friends, God has called us to live a meaningful life. He has called us to understand these concepts. Money is not sin. The love of money is sin. Money can be used to build God's kingdom. Or it can be a distraction from his kingdom. That's our choice. I want money to be used to build his kingdom, not to distract me from his kingdom. Amen. 
All right, what else can we learn about money from this passage? Well, we can learn that money can be our treasure or it can be a tool. See, Matthew 6, 21, and which is interesting because this is the first passage I ever preached when I think I was like 19 or 20 years old on a Sunday night. I preached on this passage, and, and it, it holds a special par, part of my heart. And, it, and this verse is very powerful. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pastor Keith used to say to us, look at a man's checkbook, and I can tell you what he values, what's important to him, what what's matters in his heart. Of course, we don't really have checkbooks like that now, so you have to look at your online baking. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's where we put our money is usually where, where we value things at. And so if it's our home, it's our home. If it's our children, it's our children. If it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom. If it's uh, more, you know, making, a lot of times people put their money into making more money. And all those things are not bad in itself. Again, money is not sin. It's the love of money that is sent. If we're doing these things with right motives to, to honor God with our blessings, then, then awesome. But if we make money our treasure instead of a tool for our treasure that will be laid for us in heaven, then we're missing it. Because you can have the most comfortable life here on earth. And if money is your treasure, that's what you got right here. You're, you got your treasure now. When I stand before the Lord in glory, I don't want him to say, man, you already got all your treasure on earth. I want to have, I want to be able to have treasure in heaven where the Bible says in this verse that moth and rust do not destroy and the thief cannot break in and steal. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever had anything stolen, but I've lived in South Toledo for a really long time. I've had a lot of things stolen from me and it's frustrating. <laughs> But praise God, the treasures in heaven are not going to be stolen by anybody. They're not going to be destroyed by, by anything. They're, the, the, the rust won't come on it. But even our body here, friends, will one day be destroyed. But we'll have a new body and a new purpose and to be in the glory of God in heaven. So we have to realize right now that money is a tool. Money can't buy your happiness. And it certainly cannot buy salvation, but it can be a tool to be used for good. And so here's this young ruler. He's like, well, okay, I've done all these things. What else can I do? And he's like, okay, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. But I love how Jesus listened to him first. <clears throat> you know, he answer, answered a question and then Jesus asked him a question. Well, well what commands have you kept? You know, and, and he listened to him talk and, he, and then he got to the root right there and said, but this one thing, what do I lack? Well, let me tell you what you lack. You know, and when we would go before the Lord and say, God, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I've done it before. And the longer you serve the Lord, there's times that, I mean, I've had my little sissy fits before the Lord. I'm just going to be real. <laughs> and there's times I've gone to the Lord like, God, I'm doing this and that. And, and when I quiet myself, he will remind me, girl, you, you, you're not as all that as you think you are. <laughs> there's some things that you still need to surrender. There's some things that you need to still lay down. And he always builds me up and reminds me that he loves me and that he's going to be the one who's going to encourage me and equip me to do that. But we got to be careful when we think we stand lest we fall. And so this man's like, I've kept all these commandments, but yet <laughs> we lack things. I was going to get there. You're th stealing my thunder. So <laughs> money. Oh, yeah. How did I miss this? So here's what money can be for us. When we make it our treasure, well, my favorite movie that my husband makes me watch at least once a year. And this guy, I have a heart for this guy because he wants to do right. He's like the cutest, ugly thing in the world, right? Gollum or Smeagol, right? And he wants it and he needs it and he must have his precious. 
And that's how we sometimes look at money. We want it. We need it. We must have our precious. And we allow money to become our treasure instead of a tool to build treasure in heaven. Let's not do that. Money can't buy us happiness. So here's some money shifts that need to be made, that we need to make to make money a tool in our lives. I'm going to go over these pretty quick, okay? So these are some mind shifts. I said money shifts. Mind shifts. You ready? We got, we got to view money as a tool. Making ends meet can be very challenging. But with our money, we have a powerful tool to express our values through what we buy and how we use it. Each purchase is an extension of our Christian walk. I value my children, and so when I can invest into um, helping them in whatever way I can help them, whether that's sports, if that's getting them some kind of outfit that make them feel better, I'm not, I don't want them to be entitled brats, <laughs> but I value my children, especially experiences with my children. And I thank God that my, my parents value not just their children, but their grandchildren. And that's okay, friends. But each purchase that we make, it really does show what we value in our Christian lives. And so if we can strengthen our faith, for example, and value things of our faith, then when missionaries come in, we're going to want to bless them because we value the kingdom of God expanding. If we value our faith and, and we're talking about, hey, this is the art campaign, I understand we don't have like millionaires in, in, in this campus, but I know that God can take a little and he can make it enough because he does it all the time. We see it with, with Jesus and the fishes and the loaves two times in the gospel. He took a little and he made it more than enough. And so I want to encourage you, like, what can you give? What can you do to help build something greater than yourself, to leave a legacy, to let money be a tool? Also, something that we need to do is we need to learn to be good stewards of the money that we have. I just took a class last quarter called uh, Financial Management uh, for the Nonprofit. And I'm telling you, this class has been my favorite class that I take. And I love history. I've had history classes. I've had psychology classes. And this class that what you would think would be boring was my favorite. For one, the professor was amazing. He was so good. He was the best professor I've had so far. But because it, it challenged me and changed me so much, I actually invited this professor, his name is Doc, we call him Doc Johnson. Um, we invited him, he's going to come and he's going to do a Money Matters seminar. And it's going to be in October. Um, I believe it's like the 15th and 16th, but I might be wrong on those dates, but it's in October. I'll get you the information when we get a little bit closer. But I'm letting you know now, like I'm going to host it here at the Waterville campus. And, and uh, we are going to like probably sell just... Um, some tickets and, and make sure that you, you, you put in a little bit of an investment into this. But this man, he is good. I took eight-week course, and he, he has such wisdom on how to make good financial um, decisions. And we want to learn how to be good stewards. And so one of the things that we have to learn to do to be a good steward is we got to trust God with our tithes and offerings. Now, my kids make fun of me because they know I love to study generations. I think I have love to study generations, even when I was a super young person, like, I just love it. I, I was fascinated learning about my grandparents' generation, which, where there's not very many of them left. Uh, the builders' generation, they're 95 and older now, and they, they were the World War II generation, what they called, like, the greatest generation to ever live, and the, they went through the Depression, went through World War II, they went through so many things. It made them very, hmm, very, what's the word? I'm, I'm look prudent with their money. <laughs> they were very, I mean, like, you know, I know, I remember your grandma used to wash like plastic forks, like, and I was like, 
I am not watching a plastic fork. <laughs> I got it so I don't have to wash dishes. <laughs> but she just couldn't help herself because she was prudent. And that's what she learned through her generation. You know, one thing I love about the boomer, boomers, and, and if you actually study boomers, they broke statistics because usually statistics say that unless you're 18 or younger before you come to Christ, you won't likely come to come to Christ. There was tons of boomers that came to Christ later on in life and, and stuff too, which kind of was a, a very interesting thing. But what I love about boomers, which is most of our, our silver foxes in the house today, most of them, not all of them, some of us gray early. Um, <laughs> I cover mine. Um, anyway, these guys are, are, they're for real about their finances. The most successful generation who have ever lived so far is the boomers. And so I used to, when I was younger, be like, okay, boomer. Now when they tell me things, I'm like, okay, boomer, let me take that. Let me learn from that. Yeah, you know what you're talking about. Because they're smart with their, with, with their financial decisions. And, and, and they, they, they lived so far out of every generation that has ever come, and including the generations that are alive today underneath them, my generation that no one talks about, X generation, the millennials, and the Zs. <laughs> They, they, they haven't quite lived that kind of life yet, and it's because they've been smart with their finances. So we have some things that we can learn. One thing that I respect about them is they're the last generation who ties. That our, my generation and down, we, you know, some of us do, but most of us will give here and there as we feel like a real ting, tingle in our, you know, our, our hair stand up a little bit and we think, oh, okay, let me throw in $5 or something, you know? <laughs> I'm just being real. There's very few um, people that are younger than boomers that, that, yeah, that are younger than boomers, so 50 and under, that actually tie 10% of their finances. And it's something that I hope that as we age and get smarter and learn in the Lord that we will get better at. And I understand their circumstances. I've never been one who judged people by what they give. As a matter of fact, now that I'm in school with all these people, I've realized most pastors don't look at people like they don't even know who's giving and what, what's not giving. I, I actually do know. And I hope and I believe that you've probably never felt any kind of way from me one way or another. Because I, I don't, I don't care. It's not that I don't care. I care about what the bottom line is. But I don't look at people differently. And I understand that we're all in this process. I don't, and I just, I don't, I know, but I don't meditate and I don't think, oh, so-and-so gave two weeks ago and they haven't given since that. I just, I got too much in my brain for, for that information to stick. <laughs> However, I love you guys enough to tell you that we got to get better at this. And this is not to condemn anybody, us, um, ourselves as well. Like, what, dude, I love coffee so much, okay? Like, how can I get better at making coffee at home or buying the 99 cents? Well, it's not 99 cents anymore unless you got a coupon at McDonald's versus the $6 one at Big B, right? Like, what can we do? What little things can we do to make sacrifices where we can invest in things that matter? I know we don't get a lot of amens for, for this message, but it's, it's true. We need to learn to be good stewards, okay, friends? Um, and I would encourage you this way. This is what I've encouraged people to do. If you are at a place that you tie 10% of your finances, ask the Lord, what kind of offering can I give monthly maybe? to the Lord, to step yourself up. If you're at a place that you have never tied 10% of your finances, that might be a stretch for you. Can, you. can you start faithfully giving something? Maybe you can start with 5% and build yourself up to 10%. Okay? If you've never given nothing ever in your life, friends, we pay for gym memberships that we don't often go to. How much more important is our soul than our body? 
Can we give something? And this is the thing that you guys could look at at this church, and not everybody can say, but you could look at the leadership of our church, and you can say, they are not getting rich off of my pocketbook. You can look at that. You can look at where Josh and I live. You can look at the sacrifices that we make. You can look at Earl Renee and where they live and the sacrifices that they make. And you can say to yourself, my pastors are not money hungry. You can say that to yourself. Okay? What I'm asking you to do is, is, is ask the Lord, how can I grow in this area? How can I mature in this area? And I even challenged our teenagers last year. I said, it would be nice one day if we could pay Jeremy to be a full-time pastor or a part-time pastor or give him a gas stipend a weekly because he gets nothing like that. I said, you know what can help? As, as teenagers, as you work your summer jobs and you work your fast food jobs, start tithing now. Be that generation that gets it while you're young. My, my mom, for some reason, really instilled this. When she got the revelation that you're supposed to do this, because it was hard for her, but when she got the revelation that you were supposed to tithe, um, I was a teenager, I believe, when she got that revelation and around that time. She told me on my first job, like, listen, I was blessed and privileged in a lot of ways. I didn't have to pay a whole lot of anything. Matter of fact, I didn't even have to pump my gas until I got married because my dad would go pump it. Ugh, I still hate pumping my gas. Anyway, <laughs> thanks. My husband said, thanks, Frank. Um, <laughs> okay, I was very blessed and privileged in a lot of ways. However, I was taught things. And my mama said, but one thing you are going to do is you're going to give your tithe to the church. So as, as a teenager, when I made a $100 check, I learned to give 10 to the church. So it was easier once I start making $1,000 checks, whenever that is. <laughs> it's easier to give 100 to the church, right? Because it builds his kingdom. And I believe in a church that gives back. And we see our church gives back. Even in Waterville, we have given back. We've hosted twice the uh, Red, White, and Boom Carnival. And we financially invested into that. We, we've, we've done... Um, We've done uh, Roche de Boost, which I hope to do again in this September. We've gone and, and given out coffee to things. We've done several things um, in this community to invest back, and we plan on doing more. And we've done several things in the, in the 16 years we've been at the South Toledo community to give back. We don't sell anything. We don't sell stuff out of that building. We give everything away. We need to learn to be good stewards with our money. Amen. Okay, so money is a tool, and we need to learn to be good stewards with it. Take a class, read a book, um, find a Christian leader that can teach you, okay? Learn to be a good worker so you can use your money to, to be a blessing to others. Learn to be a good worker. Show up on time. There's, again, my kids are going to be so annoyed. I already saw them roll their eyes at me at least twice. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite little TikTok videos is when they do the generation things, and there's this really cute one where it's like uh, it shows the different ways people work. And you got the boomers, and, and, and this lady's pretending to be a boomer because she's definitely not. But she shows up five minutes early. She's like, I'm ready, you know. And then you got Gen X, me, and it shows up right on time. No, no, no never mind. We were one minute early. We were doing okay. One minute early, which is typically how I show, show up for my stuff in class. Actually, not really. Um, and I have a late problem. I don't know where I got it from. And then the millennials come in right on time. And then it was the, the uh, younger, older Zs like, like uh, Jeremy that came in like a couple minutes <laughs> late. I'm like you, buddy, though. I like to be a couple minutes late, too. It's, it's not a good habit, but it is what it is. But we need to learn to be good workers, right? We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But we want to be the kind of workers that our boss is like, man, I'm so glad they're here. We want to be the kind of people that when we walk in the room, 
like the atmosphere gets better, right? Like, the, like people feel encouraged. Have you ever walked in the, you had someone walk in the room and you're like, like at work and you're like, ooh, it's like, like a gloominess comes behind them. Like cranky, like if you say good morning to them, they, they might just like give an evil death stare. You know what I mean? Have you ever, you don't want to be that kind of worker. You want to be the kind of worker that you encourage people, that, that you go above and beyond. And when you learn to be that kind of worker, you will never have a hard time finding work. And then with money being a tool, a mind shift that we need to have is we need to learn to be content with what we have. Oh, that's so hard, right? We need to learn to be content. I, one of the hardest fasts I've ever done, I don't want to talk about it in case God makes me do it again, but <laughs> is I had to go on a 101-day shopping fast. <laughs> I was only allowed to shop for things I needed, like food, and, and gas and, you know, stuff that you need. But I wasn't able to buy anything different. And this is when I was in Bible college. It was the hardest fast I ever did. Because I think I'm a good steward. I always, my name brand is called Clarence, you know. And I do good kingdom work. Hello, Ariel and Chris are here because I was a shopper. And I met Ariel at a store, okay. So I do good work, okay. <laughs> However, man, I've got, I'm getting to this point. I'm like, Lord, help me be content. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's a struggle I have. I, I, I have such a drive in me that I always, I'm always looking to the next thing. I'm always thinking about, okay, this, that I sometimes struggle with contentment, but the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. So you want that meaningful life. You want that gain. And yet we're not being content to get that gain, like being content. I wrote a, a, a message or a blog once that was called The Secret of Living Your Best Life. And I was like, oh, let me read this. It's going to be one of those quick fix. And it was contentment. That's the secret of living. You are living your best life. If you value the people, relationships, the, the blessings that you have. And so I'm in this place of gratitude that I'm trying to teach my kids too. I'm like, okay, what can we be thankful for today? You know, things might not have been perfect. You might not have got a perfect grade. Everything might not have been perfect in your life. You might, not have, you might have had to wait for a few days to, to, or a few weeks or whatever to get this new thing that you want. But what can we be grateful for? What can we be thankful for today? You got breath in your lungs? Like, that was old school stuff. I got breath in my lungs. I could praise the Lord. Come on. What can we be grateful for? We should really, after just going through what we've gone through collectively from 2020 on, I mean, how, most of us know people who have passed away who didn't have breath in their lungs anymore. We need to be thankful and grateful and content with what God has given us. Amen. These are mind shifts that we, we need to have in order to use our money as a tool. Okay. I know I stayed on that uh, a lot. We're going to move on. Number three, money can be an idol or it can be an investment. The rich young man thought he was a ruler, but his money was his ruler. His money was his idol. This man came to Jesus, known as a rich, young ruler, and yet he really was a slave to money. What's the Bible say? You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. And you know what two masters he was talking about then? He actually said you cannot serve money and serve God. And how often do we become a slave to our money instead of using our money as an investment, as a tool? And so I don't want money to be an idol in any of our lives. I want us to learn that we can grow from this. 
I want us to learn that this is not, this is not the only thing. Money can be an idol in our life if we're not careful. One of the ways to make sure it doesn't become an idol is to make suitable investments, especially into the things that have eternal impact, right? Especially things that make an eternal impact. Money can be used to invest in the good. I love what, um, what uh, missionary Connor said when he, when he came and spoke at our church, and I've seen him speak at other events that I've been a part of. He said, we don't need your money in France. He said, however, you can have everything and still have nothing if you don't have Jesus. He said, we don't need to raise money for, for homelessness or for, for food investments in France. However, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus anymore. It's like, I can't remember what, one, or, one two, or 3% Christian nation. And you can have everything and have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Let's not let America get to that place that we have everything financially successful and yet have nothing because we have not passed down our faith to the next generation. We have to make an investment. That's why I feel so important at my age now uh, is why I will still serve in the nursery and, and in the kids' church because I'm investing into the next generation. I just met with pastors who are wanting to up great, if you will, their credential level, and I have a little meeting with them, and their kids were there, and man, I spent an equally amount of time in talking to their kids and encouraging their kids at that age, because man, that's awesome that these pastors are going to the next level in their ministry, but we want these children to come along too and know that they have value, and that they have worth, and that God has put them on this earth for such a time as this, and I want our church to value our children's ministry and value our kids' ministry, and I believe that we do, but I believe God can move on our hearts and show us what more can we do. What It doesn't have to be a whole lot, but even a tiny bit more that we can invest in internal things. Because guess what? None of your gold gets to come to heaven with you. Your nice house, your car, your none, none of your favorite outfits get to come to heaven with you. Jubilee better bury me right in a nice outfit when I'm done, but <laughs> it's not going to heaven with me. <laughs> it's not going to heaven with me. But you know what can come to heaven with us? Other souls. Other souls. And when I stand before the Lord, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful to share the love of God with people. You, I know I'm not perfect. <laughs> Woo! My children know I'm not perfect. My parents know I'm not perfect. Y'all probably are getting the idea. I'm not perfect. But man, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. And that's what investing means. And so I'm going to ask you guys would, uh, to understand that no donation is too small to matter. If we can open our eyes to the possibility of doing good beyond our limited means. Not all of us can build brand new homes, but all of us can invest something into building this ark, wherever it's going to be, whenever it's going to be in this community, this new church that we want to build one day. Not all of us can go to the mission field and be full-time missionaries, but all of us can, can invest. Even if it's, investment is not just financially, it could be words of encouragement, it could be prayer, it could be serving. All of us can invest somewhere to encourage a missionary. Jesus challenged this young man to sell all that he had to, to give the proceeds to the poor. His love for money caused him to go away with a sorrowful heart and he, because he had great possessions. Many who are wealthy depend on God as they should. Thank God. They do not see 
However, there are many that are wealthy that do not see their need for God. We see this in, in, in countries like France who have everything but have nothing. We see this in countries like our own who church attendance in America is the lowest it's ever been. Because we have lost our hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I do not believe it's too late. I do not believe it's too late. I'm going to wrap up with this last point here. Money, friends, can't make salvation possible. Only God can. In Matthew 19, 24, it says, what does the eye, it, it, it talks about the eye of the needle. And it talks about, it's, it, for, for it's great difficulty for a rich person to get to heaven. So much so that it's more possible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And so if you've ever heard this message preached before, you might have heard that some commentators believe that the eye of the needle represented this gate in Jerusalem that was super small. And that camels were able to get through, but for a camel to get through, it was really hard. They had to take the, the luggage off the, the camel. You got to remember, that was like vehicles back then, right? And uh, the camel actually had to kneel down to get through that gate, to fit and get through that gate, which is really, really hard for a camel to do. Very difficult. Some, some commentators, though, believe it's a sewing needle. And that shows the great impossibility of, uh, of how can a camel get through an eye of a sewing needle. Like, that's impossible, right? And then some commentators, which I tend to believe, um, believe it was a surgical needle because Luke also talked about this um, story. And Luke was a doctor. And when he, when he described this and he quoted Jesus, he actually used the Greek word for surgical needle, which is a little bit bigger than, obviously, a sewing needle, but still very impossible for a camel to get through. Which makes us say, how it makes us say, how in the world can anyone be saved then? Because you have to understand, Jewish people believed that those who were wealthy were blessed by God. Because even the Old Testament talked about Abraham and it talked about the different people who were blessed um, with all of their possessions. And so if you were blessed with many possessions, the Jewish culture thought you were blessed by God. Just like the American culture today looks at people, and we even say this, like, oh, I got blessed. And usually we're talking about financial means, usually. Oh, I got blessed with, a, uh, you know, with, with this, or I got blessed with this object, or this new car, or this house, or this promotion at work. However, Jesus was t talking to them and showing them, your blessings are not the blessings of this earth. And although this situation looks completely impossible, it is possible, but only with God. Only with God. And this is the thing. Some people took this, um, you know, this story in the Bible, and they thought, oh, just like the rich young ruler, oh, well, I guess I better start giving alms to the poor in order to really be saved. But they missed it because salvation is a free gift. It is a free gift. We are saved by faith through, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It is a free gift and you can't do anything, even if you gave all of your money away and sold everything if you didn't accept the grace that comes with that, you still can't be saved. We can't buy salvation. Simon the sorcerer learned that when he tried to buy spiritual gifts from Paul. We read this in the book of Acts, and he, he said, well, what can I do to get the Holy Spirit? He was trying to buy the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What can I do? And then, and then he came to him and was trying to give him, uh, give him money. And he's like, no, 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 no. Actually, the, the scripture says, was it Paul or was it Peter? I think it was Peter. Peter. It was Peter. I knew I said that wrong. The scripture actually, this is how I knew. Because in the Greek, Peter said, 
to, I can't do it, I can't say it, to H-E double hockey sticks with you and your money. That's what the Greek means. <laughs> Crazy. We are saved by grace, friends. And rich people can't get to heaven with their, with their money. Poor people get, can't get to heaven with their good deeds and their good works. Rich people can't sell everything and get to heaven. We can all only get to heaven as John 14, 6 says, he, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. Let's learn to use our money as a tool for an investment into the kingdom of God to have eternal impact. To, let's let our, our values line up with our finances, and let's remember that the impossible is only possible with Christ. Would you guys stand up? Let's, let's close out in prayer. Jesus, we don't want to be ones that have everything but still have nothing because we do not have you. God, would you teach us to be good financial stewards. God, I pray that you would break statistics in this room, that our young people who, who very likely barely even maybe even make 20000 a year, that they would start setting the example to, to give even 10% of that money to make an eternal impact. That our teenagers who only work part-time jobs, instead of just buying the new awesome thing, Lord, that they would know that when they invest their finances into the kingdom, into missions, into what you've called them to do, that there's an eternal impact and that you take care of the rest. God, that our middle-aged people who, who are juggling so many things right now, Lord God, with raising kids and this inflate, inflation that we live in here in America, God, that they would still trust you with their finances and that they would be faithful. God, I thank you for our seasoned saints in this house today that have set the example for so many of us. We are blessed even in this community right here with seasoned saints who have been faithful to, to live below their means to invest into the kingdom. And God, I speak a blessing on them. And not just on them, but God, on them, their children and their children's tr children, because it's for such a time as this that you have us alive. And I know that you're not done with us. God, you see all the need. It looks like this church to ever build a building in this community, it's impossible. <laughs> but all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. To truly make the kind of impact that you've called us to make, we need the impossible to happen. And so, God, I thank you for moving on hearts, changing people's mindsets, changing people's hearts, showing them their worth and their value in you. Jesus, would you bless them and would you keep them? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys.